0: Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Today's message comes from our series, Grace and Truth, a study of the book, First Corinthians. Here's Pastor Nick. Let's Pray as we get into our study of God's word. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you love us and you want to speak to us. Lord, help us that we would be formable and shapeable, and Lord, that we would be receptive to your word, and we would let it have its effect in our lives, and that we would respond and in the way that you want us to respond. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I was living in Hungary and I was pastoring a church there, one summer my pastor came out to visit us from the United States. And we were really excited for him to come, um, and he came out and he spent a few days with us. And we showed him around, introduced him to some people, showed him the stuff that we were involved in, and then he preached at our church on Sunday. And after church, we went out to lunch. And I, I asked him. I said, Pastor Tom, I want you to be honest with me. I want you to tell me, you know, having been around our church the last couple of days, what did you see? that we're doing wrong. Like, tell me, what did you see that we need to change, that we need to improve? Like, what are the things that you would say are not good and we need to, to adjust them? And he thought about it for a minute, and then he said, you know, honestly, I didn't see anything. Uh, it all looked pretty good to me. And when he said that, you know how I felt? I felt very disappointed. You know why? You, you now, on the one hand, I was glad that Tom thought that we were doing a good job. That meant a lot to me. But on the other hand, you know, I was disappointed because what I was really hoping for from Tom's visit was some help. I was a young pastor. I was in my 20s, and I knew for sure that I did not have it all figured out. And so I was really hoping that somebody like Tom, with decades of experience as a pastor, would be able to tell me, here's what you're doing wrong. Like, here's what you need to do differently. Here's what you need to change. Because I wanted to grow. I wanted to improve. And I knew that I couldn't do that unless I knew what I needed to change. But here's the other thing. I didn't want that kind of feedback from just anybody. You guys know this, right? Some people are pretty quick to give you their opinion whether you want it or not, right? They'll say, I didn't like that shirt. I didn't like that song. I don't like this. I don't like that. You should change this. You should change that. Man, this stuff is so common. If I wanted that kind of advice, I could get it at any moment of any day, right? Some people, somebody's out there, and they want to tell me what they think. But I didn't want that kind of feedback, honestly. I, I didn't want it from just anybody. I wanted it from Tom specifically because Tom played a certain role in my life. Tom had this role in my life where he was my spiritual father. And you know, that's the role that Paul the Apostle had in the lives of the Corinthians. That's the role that Paul the Apostle had in the lives of the Corinthians. Here in 1 Corinthians, Paul the Apostle is writing to a church that he founded on his second missionary journey, and he was their pastor for almost two years. And this is why Paul says to them in chapter 4, which we read last week, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says this, though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers but I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, that's really important to remember, that Paul had this role in their lives as their spiritual father. Because here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul's going to put on his dad hat, and he's going to talk to him in his dad voice. And he's going to tell him some stuff that they're not doing well, right? He's going to tell him some stuff that they need to change and improve. And, uh, and it's important to remember that as he does this, he does it as their spiritual father, as the one who loves them and is committed to them and wants to see them succeed. You know, for all of us, in order to grow, we need people in our lives who are willing to speak the truth into our lives in love and tell us when we're doing something that's wrong or, or something in our lives that needs to change You know, we need that in order to grow, in order to improve. We need people who will speak into our lives. And we need to be willing to receive it when it happens. But listen, it has to be done in love. Because even if it's true, you can hurt somebody with the truth. So it has to be done in love. But here's the thing. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is going to speak to the Corinthian Christians about a situation that was going on in their church that they were not handling well. They were mishandling a situation. It was a difficult situation, but they were not handling it well, and Paul is going to instruct them on what they need to do in order to help everybody who's involved in this difficult situation. The title of this message is, Church Discipline, and the love of God. Church discipline and the love of God. And here's what we're going to see in this passage. This is our takeaway truth. It's our summary sentence. I encourage you to write this down. This is going to be our outline for studying the passage. But I want you to keep this sentence, this thought, with you as you leave here today. So take a picture, write it in your notes, whatever you got to do to remember it. Church discipline is an act of love which seeks to save, protect, and restore. Church discipline is an act of love which seeks to save, protect, and restore. So let's take that sentence and let's break it down and use it as our outline for studying this passage. So first of all, church discipline. Look at what Paul says here in verse 1 of chapter 5. He says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. Now, Paul wrote this letter, 1 Corinthians, he wrote it to the Corinthian Christians in response to two things. He's responding to two things as he writes this letter. First of all, he's responding to some questions that the Corinthian Christians had asked him in a previous letter About matters of doctrine, about certain doctrines. So, Paul's gonna talk about that. But he's also writing this letter in response to a report that he received about the Corinthian church from a woman named Chloe. And this was not a good report. It was a report that there was actually some disturbing and bad stuff going on in the Corinthian church. So, here's how this letter breaks down in chapters one through six. Paul addresses the disturbing report he received about the church. That's where we're still at here in chapter 5. That's what he's doing. And then starting in chapter 7, it's going to shift, and Paul's going to answer their doctrinal questions that they had written to him to ask about. So what we've seen so far here in, in 1 Corinthians is that the Corinthian Christians had a problem. Their problem was they were very arrogant, right? They considered themselves to be really spiritual, and they had a tendency to look down on other people who they considered to be less spiritual than them. And what Paul the Apostle has been telling them so far here in this letter is is he's saying, despite the fact that you consider yourselves really spiritual, here's the deal. You're doing some things that are very not spiritual. Like, the things you're doing are not They're the opposite of spiritual. One of the things they were doing that was not spiritual was they were fighting amongst each other. They were bickering. They were dividing into factions. And they were at each other's throats, fighting with each other. And Paul says, that's not spiritual at all. That's fleshly. That's carnal. And now here in chapter 5, he's going to talk to them about another thing they're doing that is also not spiritual, a very unspiritual thing. And that is that they are turning a blind eye to a situation going on in their church in which a guy is doing something that is really gnarly. Look at what he says in verse two. Are you arrogant? Uh, ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. The situation in the Corinthian church was one which warranted church discipline. It warranted church discipline. Rather than being arrogant and proud of themselves and and boasting about how spiritual they were, Paul says what they should have been doing, they should have been mourning. They should have been mourning over the situation that was taking place in their church, and they should have been mourning over the fact that they weren't doing anything about it. So what was the situation in the Corinthian church? Well, the situation was this. A member of the church was having an ongoing sexual relationship with his stepmother. That was the situation. Paul describes it here. Now listen, this man was a member of the church, and he considered himself to be a Christian. But this thing he was doing, here's what's so interesting about it. It was explicitly forbidden in the Old Testament, in two places in the Old Testament, Leviticus 18, Deuteronomy 22. And here's the other thing that's crazy. It was actually against the law in the Roman Empire what this guy was doing it was forbidden by Roman law and that's why Paul says there in verse 1 there's immorality among you of a kind that's not even tolerated amongst the pagans now that's really saying a lot because the pagan corinthians were famous for their indulgent attitudes in regard to the topic of sex and yet the corinthian christians they were turning a blind eye to a situation that was against the law in the Roman Empire and against the Bible, and they were just ignoring it, and they weren't doing anything about it. Now, maybe you wonder, what should they have done about it? Well, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gave us some guidelines for confronting another believer, another Christian, who is in sin. Here's what Jesus said. He said, the first thing you should do is you should go and talk to that person one-on-one. Have a conversation with them, and hopefully— you know, you don't need to make a big deal out of it. You don't need to talk to a bunch of other people. You can just go and talk to that person directly and say, hey, I noticed this thing. This is worth talking about. This isn't good. And he says, go talk to that person one-on-one. Hopefully that will resolve the issue. And if it does, then great. Because the goal, he says there, then you've won your brother. And that's good. And if that's the case, then you're done. But if that doesn't work, right, if the person tells you to buzz off and mind your own business, and you say, no, no, this really is a big deal. This needs to be addressed. He says, well, the next step is take somebody else along with you. Then address the issue with that person. And if they're not willing to listen to you and that other person you take along with you, then the next step is to bring it before the church. And if they're still not willing to acknowledge the error of their ways, if they're not willing to change and repent of that thing they're doing— he says, well, then, Jesus says, the next step is disciplinary action. That's the next step. But here's what's really important to remember. When Jesus talks about these, this process, he makes it very clear that the purpose of this process, the purpose of confronting someone about their sin, it is not retaliation. It is not to shame this person. It is not exclusion. Rather, the goal of this process is to win your brother. That's what Jesus said. The, the goal is repentance, reconciliation, and restoration. So when Paul says here in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that this person needs to be removed from the church, Understand what that tells us is that this person has already been confronted and talked to about what he's doing, and he's still persisting in doing it. He's refusing to stop. But here's the thing that the Corinthians were doing. They had gone this far in the process, but they had stopped short of actually enacting disciplinary action. They had stopped short of doing that. Instead, they said that we're just going to let it slide. Right? We're not going to do anything. We're just going to pretend that nothing's happening here. Nothing to see. And Paul's saying, by doing that, you're sending the wrong message. You're sending the wrong message to this person who's doing this thing, and you're sending the wrong message to the church and to everybody else who knows about this situation. Now, listen, for many Christians in the world today, uh, I think the idea, when they hear this idea of church discipline, it's either something which they, maybe you've heard about church discipline... But you haven 't actually seen it done in practice, or the other thing i I see and hear a lot about is that people have heard about church discipline they haven 't seen it done in practice, but they 've heard horror stories of churches that have done it poorly right and that's that skews their view on it or another thing that um, often happens is that some people when they hear this phrase "church discipline," the immediate thought that comes to their mind is church discipline like why should churches be disciplining people like That's what's wrong with the church, they might say. Christians need to stop thinking that it's their job to tell other people what to do. They need to just mind their own business and worry about themselves. So what if this guy wants to have a a weird relationship with his stepmother? Who are they harming by doing that, right? You might think it's weird, but love is love. And what does the church have to get involved for? Why kick them out of all things. I mean, shouldn't the church be a place where anyone can come and be accepted and encouraged and embraced and loved? But what we're going to see here in this passage is that actually church discipline is, and this brings us to the next part of our sentence, church discipline is actually an act of love. You know, the Corinthian Christians had a problem with pride. They were boasting about themselves. They were arrogant. They were talking about how spiritual they were. But here's the thing about pride. Pride is the opposite of love, because pride is always concerned with yourself. That's what it's about, right? Boasting about what? Boasting about yourself. Pride is concerned with yourself, whereas love responds to the needs of others. So as Paul addresses this situation, he's not doing it for his own sake. He's doing it because he's concerned about these people who are involved in this situation. And he's concerned about this man who's doing this thing. Verse 3, he says, Though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. Now maybe you'd say. Hang on a second, Nick. You said this was all about love. But Paul here doesn't sound very loving. In fact, he sounds pretty judgy, right? Like he's getting judgmental on these guys. I mean, look at it. He even says here, I have pronounced judgment on this person. Doesn't Paul know what Jesus said? Judge not, lest ye be judged." So where does Paul get off pronouncing judgment on this guy? I mean, doesn't judge not lest ye be judged, doesn't that mean that Paul should just mind his own business? And whatever this guy is doing, is just between him and God, and Paul doesn't need to put his nose in the middle of it? I remember a time in my life when I— this verse out of my pocket, and used it on somebody else, right? A a friend of mine in high school told me that I was acting in a way, and I was doing things which were not in line with someone who follows Jesus. You know what I did? I told her, hey, judge not, lest ye be judged. And you know how I use that verse? I use it like a threat, because that's how we like to use it, right? Judge not, lest ye be judged, right? Like, it's a threat. Like, if you dare— to tell me that something I am doing is wrong, then God will give you a one-way ticket to hell, right? So if you want to go to hell and not pass go and not collect $200, then you better watch out, right? Because if you say anything to me at all, no matter what I'm doing, no matter how bad it is, if you say anything about it, then God's going to send you to hell, right? That's That's like how I was using the verse. And I think a lot of people use this verse in that way. They may not know any other verse in the Bible, right? This is like their life verse, right? They, they, don't, they know this one. And, but the question is, is this what Jesus really meant? Is that what he meant when he said, judge not lest ye be judged? Does that mean that you can never say anything about anything anybody else is doing? Well, no. And I'll tell you why. Because there are other passages where Jesus himself talks about confronting people who are in sin. And there are other passages throughout the Bible that talk about doing the same thing. If you see someone caught up in sin, then it says that you should reach out to that person in love and talk to them about it. Here's what it says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. In other words, the truly spiritual person is the one who will reach out in love and gentleness and say, hey, what you're doing is not good. But I'm not here to look down on you. I'm here to walk beside you and help you grow so you can put this destructive stuff behind you and get right with the Lord and make progress in His will for your life. In order to understand what Jesus is saying when He says, judge not lest ye be judged, you have to actually read the other verses that are found in that passage. See, this is a really important tip for reading the Bible. You will always get yourself into trouble if you extract verses or phrases from the Bible and look at them in isolation, right? As if they exist in a vacuum. They don't. They exist in a context. So in order to read and understand the Bible properly, you have to read the verses that come before it and the verses that come after it in order to stand understand what that one verse means and is saying. So let me read to you the other verses in this section. Judge not, lest ye be judged, or that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Then he says in verse 5, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You see, what Jesus is saying is not that you should never confront someone about their actions. What he's saying is, don't be a hypocrite and don't be self-righteous. Make sure if you're going to confront somebody about something they're doing, if you're going to confront them about their sins, make sure that you're also dealing with your own sins. Make sure that you don't do it in a spirit of, of self-righteousness, but you do it in a spirit of humility and love for that person. Here's Paul's judgment. He says what needs to happen in this situation is there needs to be an intervention. Look at what he says in verse 4. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Listen, just like you would organize an intervention for a loved one or a family member who is caught up in some terrible addiction, you, you would, what would you do? You would offer to help them, but you would also draw some boundaries if they refuse that help. The purpose of an intervention is to give them a wake-up call, to unequivocally say, we love you and this thing you're doing is not good and it needs to change. And the boundary that Paul tells them they need to draw with this man is to say this. If he persists in continuing to have a sexual relationship with his stepmother, then you need to put him out of the church. The Bible tells us that the world is the domain of the devil, whereas the church is an outpost of God's kingdom, a refuge, a shelter in the midst of this pitiless world, so by removing this man from the church, he would be removed from all the spiritual covering of the church, from the fellowship, from taking part in communion, from taking part in worship. And the point is to communicate to this man and to others who knew about the situation that what he was doing was incompatible with following Jesus, and it was contrary to the way of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. But look at what Paul says is the goal of this disciplinary action there at the end of verse 5. He says, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. In other words, the purpose of doing this is not to make the church an exclusive club for people who have it all together in their lives. No, the church is a place for broken people who don't have it all together. But here's the thing. We are broken people who are humbly seeking Jesus and desiring to walk in his ways. As followers of Jesus, we are to be people whose lives are characterized by repentance. Repentance, not just one time. It's not that we repent one time and that's all. We tick the repentance box, and now we're done. No, no, our lives are to be constantly and continually characterized by repentance. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus said his message, the essence of the message is this, repent and believe in the gospel. The word repent simply means to change directions. It means you were going in one direction, and now you've turned, and now you're going in a different direction. Now you're pursuing different things than you used to pursue. That's what repentance is all about. And here's what Jesus said, and it's, it's really important that we understand it because this is a verse that a lot of people are confused about or they misunderstand. Listen to what he says. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. What does that mean? Wow. Well, here's what it means. We talked about this recently in our study about the Holy Spirit just a couple weeks ago. But here's the deal. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to reject the work of the Holy Spirit, which is to draw you to repentance and faith in Jesus. And here's what that means. It means this, that through repentance and faith in Jesus, everything can be forgiven. But without faith and repentance in Jesus, nothing can be forgiven. So it's really important on both sides, right? Everything can be forgiven through repentance and faith in Jesus. But without repentance and faith in Jesus, nothing can be forgiven, which is why the situation is so important with this man who is unrepentant. In other words, Paul is saying, out of love for this brother, you need to have an intervention for the sake of his soul. If you really love him, you need to have an intervention, And that brings us to the next part of our sentence. Church discipline is an act of love which seeks to do what? Well, first of all, it seeks to save. Look at what James says in his epistle on this topic. In James 5, he says this, "'My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth "'and someone brings him back, "'let him know that whoever brings back a sinner "'from his wandering will save his soul from death "'and will cover a multitude of sins.'" the loving thing to do is not to just ignore the fact that someone is doing something that is wrong and destructive. It's to love them enough to take them by the hand and show them a different way. And here's why. Because throughout the Bible, and I think we can testify to this in our own lives, and our own experiences, is this, that sin always causes destruction. Every time sin leads to and causes destruction, it breaks hearts, it destroys relationships, it hurts people. Nothing good comes from sin. So, if you love someone, wouldn't you want to save them from the destructive consequences of sin, both in their body and in their soul, and for the sake of all of those who are around them and are connected to them? Listen, it's been said the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. Indifference is when you say, I don't care about you. I don't care if you live. I don't care if you die. I don't care if you're happy. I don't care if you're sad. I don't care about you. And that's the opposite of love. What God is calling us to do here is to love other people enough to do something to help them when they are doing things that are going to ruin their lives and destroy their soul. So that brings us to the next part of our sentence. Church discipline is an act of love which seeks to save. It also seeks to protect. Again, some people would say, why don't you just mind your own business, right? Like, why do you need to intervene? If this guy wants to ruin his life, then that's his problem. Just let him. Why do you need to stick your nose in there? Well, here's why. Because this person's actions don't only affect them. We could put it this way. Sin doesn't take place in a vacuum. And that's exactly what Paul says here, that that it has an impact on other people. Look at what he says starting in verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may make a new lump so that as you really are unleavened, for Christ, your Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. I think that would be a good name for a Christian band, don't you? The new lump, right? Anybody? That's fair game. You guys can take that. Just give, give me credit in the in the notes, okay? Well, listen. Therefore, let us celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. See, that's the name for your, for your non-Christian rock band is the leaven of malice and evil, right? Okay. Well, listen. Throughout the Bible, leaven or yeast is a picture of sin, And here's why. Because a little bit of yeast, you know, it spreads quickly throughout a whole lump of dough. It affects the whole thing. If you put a little bit of yeast on one part of a big lump of dough, it doesn't just affect the part that it touches. In a matter of minutes, matter of hours, it is going to spread and it's going to affect the entire lump of dough. And so on Passover, the Jewish people were instructed to remove the leaven from their houses because leaven throughout the Bible is a picture of sin and what sin does. And so they were instructed to remove, symbolically, all the leaven from their houses as a symbol of removing the sin from their lives. And they were to slay the Passover lamb and apply the blood of the lamb to their doorposts. And if they did that, then the angel of death would pass over their homes. And that Passover event, it was a picture. It was a foreshadowing of Jesus and what he would do when he came. The Passover lamb was a picture of Jesus, right, unblemished, innocent, and yet sacrificed in order to save you from death and destruction if you apply his blood to your life by faith. So Paul, he draws on this Old Testament picture of Jesus in the Passover, and he reminds the Corinthians about how during the Passover, the Jewish people would remove all of the leaven, all of the yeast from their households as a picture of cleaning house spiritually and repenting of all of their sins in their lives. And Paul says, listen, part of the reason why you need to deal with this situation with this guy in your church is because sin is like yeast. It affects everything it touches, and it causes destruction wherever it goes. You could put it this way. Church discipline is an act of love which seeks to protect whom? Well, first of all, it seeks to protect the person who is sinning from themselves, from the destructive impact of their own sins. But secondly, it also seeks to protect potential victims who would be affected by this person's sin. Thirdly, though, it also seeks to protect the witness of the church, the witness of the church, because sometimes you hear people say things like, I like Jesus, and I'm interested in the Bible, but I won't set foot in a church because Christians are all a bunch of hypocrites, right? Like I heard about this scandal that happened over here, or, or I knew this person who was a Christian, and they hurt me, and they acted unethically or immorally, so I don't want anything to do with that place. I think that Satan rejoices over that. You know why? Because the church is a place where Jesus is worshipped. is a place where the Bible is taught, where the gospel is preached, where we pool our resources to do outreach and ministry and missions. Church is a wonderful, amazing place. And Satan would love to keep people away from churches. And so why would we want to help him to do that? Why would we want to help him to make his job easier, right, by acting in a way that isn't even in alignment with Jesus' own teachings? That would be foolishness. And so we seek to protect the witness of the church. And and finally, that brings us to our last part. Not only does church discipline seek to save and protect, it also seeks, ultimately, it's an act of love which seeks to restore. Look how Paul concludes this section, verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world, or the greedy, or swindlers, or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, if he is guilty of sexual immorality, or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one, for what have I to do with judging outsiders?' And Paul then says in verse 13, God will judge those on the outside. Then he says here in verse 12, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Well, let me tell you two stories uh, from my experience with church discipline. And these stories will serve to illustrate ha- these verses and what they mean and how they're applied. So I pastored in Hungary for seven years. I pastored a church there in Hungary. And during that time, there's this guy who started coming to our church. His name was Yula. So Jula, he started coming to our church. Jula was married. He had two kids. And as we got to know Jula and his family, we discovered that Jula was physically abusive, particularly to his wife. I don't think he ever touched his kids, but he was definitely physically abusive to his wife. On on one occasion... Uh, he beat her up, or, or actually on more than one occasion, he beat her up so badly that he put her in the hospital. And one of those occasions when he put her in the hospital was on their honeymoon. During their honeymoon, he did this. Now listen, Eula considered himself to be a Christian. And the thing is, he was actually very knowledgeable about the Bible. The first couple times that I met with him, before I knew that he was abusing his wife, uh, we sat and we talked about the Bible. And he was very knowledgeable. He knew a lot about the Bible. And he was telling me about the Christian books that he liked to read. And in church, you know, he was the guy in worship who would raise his hands in worship. And even though he considered himself a Christian, he told me he hadn't been going to church for a long time. It had been a long time since he had attended church. And later on, I found out why that was, that he wasn't attending church for a long time. The reason is because the church he had gone to prior to that, sometime before, they found out that he was beating his wife, and they told him to stop. But he didn't want to stop. In fact, he was proud of himself. He was proud of the fact that he did this. In fact, on one occasion, when we confronted him about this, I told him, this is not okay. And he said, no, no, it is okay. It's good and it's necessary because he said, as a husband, he, quote, needed to discipline his wife physically when she got out of line. And so we confronted him about this, our church leadership did. And we said, hey, listen, and let me tell you, that was a hard thing to do because this guy was intimidating. And we told him, what you are doing is sin. It is wrong. You need to repent. And unless, until you're ready to repent, you're not welcome to come to our church anymore. Now, uh, Jula, he liked to get together, right? And he liked to talk about the Bible and and hang out. Um, But we told him, listen, the only thing we have to talk to you about is your repentance. If you want to talk about your repentance, we'll be there at the drop of a hat. We'll be there right away, and we'll talk to you for as long as you want to talk. But other than that, we have nothing to talk about other than your repentance. That's the only thing we have to talk about with you. We also talked to Yula's wife, and and we also involved the police. And she was able to get a restraining order for her and her kids so they would be protected. And you know what else we did? We also talked to the other churches in our town to let them know what had happened and how we had dealt with it so he couldn't just slip out of our church and start going to another church and pick up right where he left off. Listen, in, in that case, what were we doing? We were acting out of love. We were acting out of love for Yula's wife, wanting to love her and protect her. We were also acting out of love for his kids. And, and you know what? Ultimately, we were also acting in love for Eula because we wanted it to be clear to him that what he was doing was sin. It was contrary to God's will, and he needed to repent Now, listen, I don't know if Jula ever did repent. I did see him a few times after that, and he was not happy, right? He was was pretty angry every time I saw him. But here's the point. If he had wanted to repent, if he had repented, if he had, you know, been broken and repentant, we would not have excluded him from the church forever. That wasn't the goal, right, to keep him out of the church because he's a bad person. The goal was to see repentance, healing, restoration, progress, etc. Let me tell you the other story. The other story was uh, something that happened early on in starting our church there in Eger. Um, in, it was a situation which involved a young couple who started attending our church. And it came to our attention that this young couple who was attending our Bible study and our church services, they were living together, but they weren't married. And so we used to have uh, gatherings for the pastors in our network, where all of the pastors in our network would go down to this Bible college in Hungary, and we would uh, sit together. We'd pray for a couple days and talk. And, and so we, we gathered down. There's my first time going to this meeting, because this was my first time as a pastor. I was brand new as a pastor. And so I got to go to this pastor's meeting, and we're sitting around in a circle talking. And, you know, they say, hey, does anybody have anything they want to discuss or bring up? And I said, yeah, I've got this situation in my church. I've got this young couple coming. I don't think they're Christians. In fact, I know for sure that the guy is not a Christian at all. He's told me he's an atheist. And so they're coming to the Bible study, but they I found out that they're living together and they're not married. And so I'm not sure what to do. I've never, never been a pastor before. So maybe you guys could help me out. So we're sitting there in a circle and the two guys who speak up, you know, who are the most uh, vocal, they speak up and they say to me, they say, well, obviously you need to kick them out. And they, you know where they took me? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, this passage we're looking at today. And they pointed out that part about the leaven. And they said, look, you got to kick them out because it's like leaven. You got to get rid of the leaven. You got to clean house spiritually. Otherwise, they're going to infect everybody else in the church. And I was like, okay, but I don't even think these guys are Christians. Like, I know for sure the guy's not a Christian. And, and if I kick them out of the Bible study, that might be sending the wrong message. I mean, I, I want these people to be encouraged in seeking the Lord and knowing the Lord. I don't want to send them the wrong message, but they said, no, 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 you got to do this. You got to kick them out. So I went back to Eger and I did not kick them out. Because they were, they were not Christians, right? Like, it's not like these were proud people who were arrogantly thumbing their nose at God and just doing whatever they wanted. This was a young couple. They were interested in knowing about Jesus, and in a way, they, they weren't Christians. They didn't know any better, and I wanted to encourage their interest in the Bible and in Jesus, not squash it. But I did talk to them once, and I said, listen, you know, the Bible says if you guys aren't married, you shouldn't be living together. You shouldn't be sleeping together because that's something that's reserved for marriage. And it's something that the Bible says is a very sacred thing. So I told him, you guys need to get married. But more importantly, you need to get saved, right? Like you need to get off the fence and you need to make a decision about Jesus. And you need to put down your yes with Jesus and trust in him as your savior and give him your life and make him your Lord. Well, a few months after that, this couple did do that. They went and they got married And then they got baptized. Uh, Rosemary and I were at at their wedding. We were there, we were excited for them, cheering for them. I was the one who baptized them in a lake near our city. You know, and then a few years later, the guy who's now, he was now a Christian, right? He's saved, he's married. He got raised up into leadership in our church. He became an elder in our church. And then a few years later, when I moved away from that city to come here to Longmont, he was ordained as a pastor and he took over as the pastor of that church and he's still pastoring that church to this day. Listen, I've got to tell you, I'm really glad I didn't kick him out of the church. Um, that's what Paul's talking about here, here in these final few verses of chapter five. He's saying, look, the goal is not to cleanse the church of sinners. If you kicked all the sinners out of the church, there'd be nobody left in the church because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The point is, though, that sometimes if someone is just bold-faced, blatantly, proudly persisting in sin, and they're refusing to respond to calls to repentance, then church discipline is in order. Absolutely. And, but here's the thing to remember, church discipline is always an act of love which seeks to save, protect, and restore. And I'm going to give you a little spoiler alert. What happened to this guy in the church well, if you read 2 Corinthians, and I hope you will, this is not one of those things where you can't read ahead, okay? You guys can totally read ahead. All right, here's what happens. They kick this guy out of the church. And then in 2 Corinthians, what happens is this guy repents of this sin and stops doing this thing with his mother or his stepmother. And then Paul has to write to the Corinthians and say, guys, he stopped, you know? They were like, yeah, you can't come back. You're bad. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. The purpose was to make him repent. He repented, Welcome him back into the church. And so that's what's going to happen in 2 Corinthians. We'll get there at some point in the future. But that's the goal. Friends, let me tell you this. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And that's really good news because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God to us in Christ Jesus is forgiveness and eternal life. Through repentance and faith in Jesus, everything can be forgiven. But without repentance and faith in Jesus, nothing can be forgiven. That's important. So may we be those who respond to the call of Jesus to repent and believe the gospel. The message of the gospel is that God was not indifferent about you when he saw you in your sin. And so by the grace of God, may he help us that we would not be indifferent about other people. Amen? Church discipline is an act of love which seeks to save, protect, and restore. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.